You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Now we're starting something a little different today. just happens to be on Easter. It's not an Easter thing actually, but a fifth Sunday thing. Um, normally our children's church goes up through third grade. Is that right? Where are you at, Norm? There you are, third grade. Today it's only going through kindergarten, as you saw on the screen. But, starting today, when there's a fifth Sunday, the uh, first through third graders are going to stay in church, and Pastor Dave is going to have something special for you. And so I got something today. And uh, so if you're in first through third grade, come on up. Come on. Yeah. No, Hugh, it's not for you. You're going to want it. You're going to want it, but it's not for you. There you go. Come on. Yeah. I guess if you were maybe in fourth grade, you could come up too if you want to. Sure, come on. If you're, oh, are the kindergartners downstairs or upstairs? They're down. They're, they're gone. Right. You're not in kindergarten. No. Okay. Okay. Kylie, if you're still here, you can come on up too. Come on, babe. So, my grand. My grandchildren get privileged. That's just, sorry. <laughs> How cute is that, right? Come on, come on. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to give you something, but you can't open it. Okay? You good with that? You're going to be honest with me, right? Tell you what, once you pass those out, everybody take one. Take, it, take the basket. Go ahead and pass them on down. There you go. When I was uh, a kid... Uh, Easter morning was kind of like Christmas morning in one way, and that is something always appeared out of the blue. And that was our Easter baskets. Now, when you're a little kid, that kind of magic works, you know. Um, but, boy, boy, I couldn't wait to come out there because there would be a basket full of candy. And uh, I don't know how poor we were, but we were poor enough that I didn't get all the candy that I wanted, that's for sure. But on Easter morning, there, uh, there was a basket for me, one for my sister, and uh, best part of all was there'd be something a little shiny tucked in the wicker, you know, a little, I don't know if it was a nickel or a quarter or what it was, but it uh, didn't matter, because I, I was excited about it. And, uh, you know, so we'd wake up, and there it was. When Sue's kid, when our kids were little, Sue's parents would come and put stuff in Easter eggs and hide it around the yard, and the kids would go find these Easter eggs after church, and they always put a dollar in a couple of Easter eggs, and, uh, or maybe one for each kid, I don't remember. And one of those dollars spent the whole spring in our backyard. Because <laughs> it was hid too well. Um, so now I have a question for you kids. You got that Easter egg. Is what's inside, now you can't look yet, but is what's inside valuable? Yes? Yeah? I plan on finding out. All right. Yeah, his dad's an auditor. Okay, now here, here's the big question. Here's the big question. How, how will you be able to know if it's valuable or not? By opening it. By opening it. That's exactly right. 
So, tell you what, why don't you open it up and see if it's valuable. See, that's what happens when you let fourth graders come up here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, it's more valuable than the paper that's ripped around it. Yes, it, well, maybe not, actually. But um, I tell you what, here's, here's what we're going to... We're going to talk about Christianity today. And Christianity is a little bit like an Easter egg. A lot of people look at it and they go, I, I don't know whether that's really worth anything. But when you look into it and you really see what's going on, you go, well, yeah, there's, there's some value in there. There's more value than a quarter, even. So here are some special notes for you. They've got some fill-in-the-blank, and if you fill this in and bring it to Children's Church next week, Norm is going to have a reward for you, aren't you, Norm? Yes, you are. There you go. Go ahead and go to your seat, kids. Here you go. And your parents, uh, for those of you parents that might not have made it all the way through school, these notes would be good for you, too. There you go. Okay. Here you go, Kylie. Take that with you and go sit down, babe. There you go. There you go. Go with your sister. Right there with your aunt. You okay? Okay. We're going to look in God's Word. We're going to open up Christianity and look at it and say, is this valuable or not? There are plenty of people in the world who say, no, it's not valuable. Some of us who say, yes, it's highly valuable. I want to see what God gives us in Christianity. And uh, you be the judge on whether it's valuable or not. We're going to start in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him in his house and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. These are the thoughts of his mind. This man, if he were really a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. He, one owed 500 days wages, 500 denarii, the other owed 50 days' wages. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman, but he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears. She has wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss or no greeting, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven." 
for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The first thing that we want to understand about Christianity is this. Faith in Christ results in the forgiveness of sins. Faith in Christ results in the forgiveness of our sin. This woman had done so many sins and of a certain type, we don't know exactly what it was. It would be reasonable to think that it was something public because people said, oh, that's a sinner. Uh, You know, if people could see our life, they could say that about any of us. But her sins were public enough that people said, oh, this woman is a sinner. She came to Jesus knowing she was a sinner. Part of the point of the, of the parable that Jesus told was some people don't seem to see their sin that much. But this woman clearly knew she was a sinner and she came to Jesus with, with humility, with tears. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now the question I want to ask is this, how can Jesus forgive what we can't forgive in ourselves? The world today would say, you have to forgive yourself. Well, that sounds real good. I suppose some people said to her, well, you know, you've had a hard life, you didn't make this this bed that you're sleeping in, you know, all those standard things. Why, Why did she need Jesus? Why couldn't she just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm average, whatever. Because only Jesus can bring the forgiveness of sins. Actually, the forgiveness of sin comes from God through Christ. Listen to this from Isaiah in the Old Testament. He, that's Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul a payment for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify or make righteous many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Why can Christ say your sins are forgiven when we can't forgive ourselves? The simple truth is this. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to pay. Uh, Some people, because of things they have done, feel like they need to hurt themselves to atone for their own sins. We have a sense of justice that's in our conscience and we think, well, something wrong has been done. I have to make it right. But I can't make it right. And I try to forgive myself, but I can't. That's because God says somebody's got to pay for sin. When God put Adam and Eve in that perfect place, he said, don't eat from that tree. If you do disobey me, you will die. There will be a penalty for sin. 
And because Adam and Eve sinned, we all are born with this movement towards sin and we become old enough to, to start making choices and we choose to sin and we have acts of sin on us. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to die and pay for our own sin? The problem with that is we can't come out on the other side. We could suffer the penalty, if you will, that is be sent to hell but we can't actually pay the bill and come out on the other side. God says he took all of our sins and laid them on Christ. He shall see the labor of his soul and the debt shall be paid. He shall be satisfied with the payment. We can't forgive ourselves, but God can forgive us, and he does forgive us when we believe in Christ. He said, your faith has saved you. It wasn't the fact that she believed and clung to her belief. It was the fact that she said, you are the Savior. I have to believe in you. You will take away my sins. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we... We're like that woman, totally overcome in sin, can't help yourself, dead in trespasses. What happened then? God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God can be merciful and forgiving because he punished Christ. The, 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 whole, the whole cross of Christ is about, about him suffering and God pouring out, pouring out, and pouring out. And that's when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he took it all. The difference between Christ and us is not only was he human, he was divine. And he could take that punishment, die and be buried and come back victorious. He, God, made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I stand here today forgiven. If you are a believer in Christ, you are forgiven. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. And there are many things in your life you can't fix. But you can be forgiven through faith in Christ. And as we open up Christianity and say, is that valuable? I have to believe that's extremely valuable. Because those who can't be forgiven develop all kinds of difficulties trying to compensate. But faith in Christ brings forgiveness. But that's not all. Faith in Christ not only brings forgiveness, it brings a clear conscience. This is a wonderful blessing that I read again in, in, in my time in the Word this week as I was going through Hebrews, and it says, for the law or the Old Testament and the system of worship, and they honored God, but there was a limitation to that Old Testament system of worship. While God honored them and God preserved them and eventually forgave their sin when Christ died, there was a limitation, and the limitation was this. The law could never, with those sacrifices, which were offered continually year by year, it could never make those who approached perfect. For them, they would have ceased to be offered. Would they not have ceased to be offered? 
For the worshipers, who were then once purified, or whose consciences were cleansed, would have no more consciousness of sin. But those, in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. We have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. When we come to faith in Christ, our sin is forgiven and our conscience is cleansed. That internal thing that tells us when we've done right or wrong, God cleans it. I did an extra thorough service to my lawnmower this year. I have a lawnmower that's, I think it's 14 years old. I've had it for 11 seasons. And it's a really good lawnmower. I didn't know how good it was, but it's gotten kind of worn out. So I started tearing it apart. And I, you know, the drive parts were bad, and I started replacing some drive parts. And then I realized there was a lot of caked-on dirt around the fins on the engine. And I was chipping at it and brushing it with a wire brush. And so I got, a, I got, a, got my, uh, you know, my big shop vac. And, and those of you that know me know if I'm buying a tool, I'm buying a big, powerful tool. I'm buying a weak little tool. So I got my shop vac out with my two-inch hose. And I turned it on, and I'm, I, got this, I got the steel brush, and I'm going on the mower and sucking that dirt up. And, boy, I'm, I'm just I'm cleaning this baby up. This is going to run like a top. And it does, by the way. I, I did get it all back together. And I'm going away, and I'm, I'm, apparently I wasn't paying real good attention. I know you find that hard to believe. There was an, where, the, where the dipstick goes down into the oil, there's this whole tube thing. And I'd taken that off as part of taking these parts out. And I'm going like this, and... And sucking up oil into my holes. Oh. And I looked in there, and sure enough, that dirt coming off the lawnmower and that oil out of there just kicked up in that hose. All I did was rearrange the dirt. You know, that's what we do when we try to clean our own conscience. We rearrange the dirt or the guilt. We can do that. We can do some things to compensate for what we think we've done wrong, or, you know, we, we can rearrange the guilt, but God, God doesn't rearrange it. God takes it away. He forgives us from our sin, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and we stand open before Him and and uh, connected to Him, and in the knowledge of Him by the Holy Spirit, and we're clean. What a great, great blessing that is. But that's not all that Christianity brings. It brings a forgiveness of sins, a clear conscience, but it also brings a confident expectation of heaven. A confident expectation of heaven. Jesus promised this when He was here on earth, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, literally dwelling places or apartments, you know, spa specifically designated spaces. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will. I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a very definite thing. Jesus also said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. 
When we die, there are several places that our body can go. We can go to a cemetery. We can be buried at sea. We can be cremated in the ashes strewn. There's, there's all kinds of things that people do now, which is, which is uh, their choice. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether you're buried or cremated. Whatever happens to your body, when you die, you're, you you go to heaven. Your person, your soul, your spirit goes to heaven. And someday, someday, these bodies are going to come back up like Jesus just said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. We are going to go to heaven when we die, and we're going to, our body is going to join us in a perfection that we have not known before now. But Jesus did something and does something more than promise heaven. He also protects heaven. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate is basically a synonym for the word lawyer or a defense lawyer, if you will. From Hebrews we read this, but he, but Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he is able to save, how far? To the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. When we put that all together, we understand that we understand that on a daily basis, we sin, even as believers in Christ. And we feel guilty when we sin. And if we were to spend time reading other scripture, we could read about our adversary. He's called the adversary, the devil, who comes to God and accuses us. He's called also the accuser of the brethren. And he says, look at that guy. Look at that Lunsford guy. Look at him. And what happens when the devil accuses us? The Lord Jesus Christ steps up and he says, I know he's still working on that, but he's already been covered by my blood. And that's the end of the legal argument. He ever lives to make intercession. He intercedes between the devil and God for us. He ever lives to do that. And so we are protected all the way to heaven. I am not enough of a man to keep myself righteous without God keeping me that way. But Christ can keep me in, in His way and He can plead my case before God and continue to work with me and I will go to heaven when I die. Listen to Jesus' prayer. I guess that's coming after this picture. Now that's not me in the suit, but I took a class like this at a chaplain seminar, a police chaplain seminar, uh, last summer. The class was called Combative Tacticals. And it was for two days, and we learned how to deal with people who might be getting combative or might, who might actually attack us. And so I had to do that to the person in the protective suit. And uh, 
you know, they didn't give out grades or diplomas, but I'm, I guess I passed. But I tell you what, I don't feel particularly up for an incident like that. Okay? Maybe, you know, if I had a weapon handy, I could take care of it that way. I, I, I love on a TV show where some guy goes all kung fu and the other guy goes... That's my kind of self-defense right there. I've never had, eh, maybe once when I was a kid I had to defend myself a little bit, but, but I've never really had to defend myself that way, and I hope I never do. I suppose I'm a little better prepared. But I tell you what, we all have that adversary, the devil, and I am definitely not prepared to go toe-to-toe with him. But Jesus is. Look at Jesus' prayer. I do not pray, he's talking to God. I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world, but I pray that you will keep them from the evil one. Now, here's something for you to consider. Does Jesus pray good prayers? Do you suppose his prayers are like yours, that sometimes you pray them and then you think, well, that probably was a little bit selfish. I'm guessing Jesus prays perfect prayers And I'm guessing that he gets answered every time. And so he goes to the Father and he says, Now, Father, I I don't want you to take them out of the world. In fact, there's work for them to do in the world. But I do pray that you would keep them from the evil one. Jesus is protecting me. And if that isn't enough, how about this? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on my side, I am going to heaven because that's what he wants. And when I come to faith in Christ... I step over onto God's side and God takes an interest in protecting me and preserving me for his glory and for my benefits. The fourth thing that we see as we open up Christianity and look at and try to say is this valuable or not, the fourth thing is this. Faith in Christ brings power for transformation. Now kids, kids, what are those? What? You'll have to explain this to your parents later on. When my son, who's now 33, was the age of these third graders, these things were new. And, oh, he loved them Transformers. And so, you know, we would buy one once in a while. And his grandparents would buy one every time they turn around. That's our job now, you know. You're poor when you're young because you don't make any money. And you're poor when you're old because you're buying everything in sight for your grandkids. But I'm not bitter. Uh, so my son had a whole bunch of these and apparently somebody sold them at a yard sale and years later somebody said I wanted those toys (laughs) and that person will go nameless but he might be standing in front of you Um, now for those of you who, who don't know what a transformer is it starts out looking like this and then, oh, and this is something only a small child can do. They fold it in all the little hinges, and it ends up looking like this. Okay? Adults can't do it, only kids. <laughs> but these toys do not transform, they only change shape. 
There is nothing intrinsically different about, about the character. It's one mechanical device. It's another mechanical device. It's all there. It's all there. There's, there's nothing new added. There's no fundamental change in the existence. They don't transform. But Christians, those who believe in Christ, transform. Romans chapter 6 says this, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized or immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed or connected with his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. God says that when Christ was on the cross and he died, that when we believe in Christ, we are spiritually connected to that death and our sinful flesh is put to death and it cannot control us anymore. And not only is our spiritual nature put to death, that sinful spiritual nature, but we are raised to a newness of life. The old is gone, the new has come. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. That's the key transformation that happens right there. We're not the slave of sin. We can be the, the slave of God. We can serve God. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Salvation in Christ is not about having your best life now. Salvation in Christ is about having the life of Christ now. You can love your enemies. You can control your appetite. You can tame your tongue. You can stay pure till marriage. You can stay true to your spouse. You can become a non-addict. You can say no to loving your job more than your family. You can say yes and obey your parents. Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is transformed. The old things, the old sinful things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. Now, I know full well that we're working this out. I know full well that I'm not perfect, but I am being perfected. But the power of Christ is in me. The transformation is in me. And it is being worked out day by day. And that is the possibility that we have in Christ. The fifth thing that faith in Christ brings to us that is valuable is an optimism about life. Um... If you're a political conservative right now, you're not very optimistic about things in our country. If you, you know, and at certain points in your life when things don't work out well, you may not be very optimistic, but faith in Christ brings optimism. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of giddy, foolish, laughing and carrying on like nothing matters. I'm not quite, quite the opposite of that. But the scripture does say this, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk apart, uprightly. Now he doesn't say, nothing will he withhold. 
And the Scripture does not teach that if you can dream it, you can have it. That if you can name it, you can claim it. It does not say that. But it says, no good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Matthew 6 says this, Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? We don't have to be fearful about the stuff of life. For after all these things, the Gentiles or the unbelievers are seeking. The unbelievers focus their life on the stuff of life, on getting stuff and having stuff and keeping stuff and laying stuff aside for the future. Your heavenly Father knows you need things. He knows you need to eat. He knows you need to drink. He knows you need clothes. But what you should do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. And these things will be added to you. I can be optimistic about life because God is at work in my life. And God is going to provide for me. Now, he he may not provide for me in, in the manner to which I think I should be accustomed. But he will provide for me. But there's also this truth. The Apostle Paul had a vision of heaven and he saw tremendously great things. And so God said to him, my grace is, he gave him a a thorn in the flesh, a difficulty to humble him. And this is what God said to Paul. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's response is this, therefore, most gladly I will boast in my weaknesses. When's the last time you went to the doctor and said, praise God, I'm weak. I've prayed all week that the Lord would deliver me from this cold so that I might be able to speak God's word to you today. He chose not to do that. And this morning I sat on my couch with my Bible and said, you know what, God, I haven't thanked you for this cold this week. That doesn't come natural to me. The Apostle Paul said, I will glory in weakness. Why? Is is there some glory over having problems and difficulties? No. He said, I will glory in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will take pleasure in my weaknesses or infirmities or in reproaches, in needs, persecutions, distresses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What did he mean when I am weak, then I am strong? He said, when I feel weak, then... Anything I accomplish is done, is God working through me. And he said, if I have to be weak in order for God to work through me, then bring it. Because he wanted God to work through him that badly. God does promise to take care of us, but in a way that brings us maturity and brings honor to him. We can look forward with joy to what a day may bring, even though that day may not be entirely fun, because God's at work. I don't know if wood can scream. I'm pretty sure it can't scream. If it could, you hear a lot of noise coming out of my shop. Ah! Don't cut me that way. When you take a piece of wood and plane it and cut it and sand it, and drill it, and glue it, and nail it, and, and fit it all together, it's got to not feel good. <laughs> but if it had feelings there, what would it feel like when it turns into that? 
I'm a crib. That's right, I'm a strong crib. I'm holding a baby. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Do you want God to work through you? It's going to take some weakness. But the wonderful thing about Christianity is I can look forward and say, you know what? If I walk in weakness, God will work through me. If, if he chooses not to allow me to stay in the weakness of, of, of sickness or, or persecution, if he just chooses to let me live what we call a normal life, God can still work through me. So either way, I can be optimistic about what is ahead for my life. Faith in Christ brings optimism about the future. And lastly, faith in Christ brings an important purpose to my life. An important purpose to my life. And, and I just love this little verse. We are God's fellow workers. I'm working with God. He wants me to work with Him. He wants to work with me. Now, please, uh, don't get me wrong, if, especially if you're new here today. I, I, I'm not saying that I call up to heaven and say, come on now, God, and do some things for me. It, it's not working together like that. It's, it's more that God has chosen to use me and you and every believer in Christ to accomplish His work in the world, and we are together spiritually he is in me Christ is in me the Holy Spirit is in me they are around me and we are working together at least as often as we are walking in righteousness when we live for Christ and we help others to know Christ and to grow up in Christ our life has eternal purpose my life counts it means something. When I entered midlife a, a couple of years ago, I didn't need to have a midlife crisis. Because when I looked back at my life, I said, well, it, you know, there's been some difficulties, some challenge, but boy, there has been some great stuff working with God. And frankly, the longer I live, the more I get to see what God has done and it's a, it's a great opportunity for joy. I didn't have time for a midlife crisis. I was, I was busy in God's work in a church, in a summer camp. I was serving the city of Tukwila in various situations. I didn't need to have a new wife or a new life. I had a great wife and a great life. There was no regret. Not because I'm so great, but because God led me along to do His work. And, and whatever of those things that I did, and I'm, and I'm sure it was not all that I've done, but whatever of those things I did for the Lord, they are waiting for me in heaven. It matters for eternity. My life matters. Because God is at work in me and through me. Back that up. Get where I want to be. Now, Bill Gates is a brilliant man. Uh, I love the stuff he made. I've had a whole series of computers. 
because he keeps making better stuff. And, all of, and, and I know that there are many people around him, but he, he had the foresight that the whole IBM company did not have. You, you understand what happened? Bill Gates was developing this software to go with IBM's hardware. They were going to make the personal computers, and he was going to make the software. And do you know what IBM said? Uh, we don't think the personal computer is going to be that big of a deal. You can just have the software. It's yours. You know, he paid him a small amount for it, whatever it was. Uh, how do you feel about that now, Big Blue? Not that good. He's a smart guy. No doubt about that. And apparently he's business smart as well as computer smart. I remember years ago, he, he took out a credit card and he said, someday this will be the size of our personal communication devices. And I thought, you're out of your mind. Well, it's getting very close. Very close. He's brilliant. But I am smarter than him. I'm smarter than him because of what he said in 1996. He said this, somebody asked him if he goes to church or what church he goes to, and at that time he said his wife uh, attended the Catholic church, and he also told her, he said, you, you go to whatever church you want to, I don't care. She told him, I'll go to whatever church you want to go to. And he said, just in terms of the allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. Now, we would look at that and say, well, that's his opinion. Apparently, Bill Gates doesn't think a relationship with God through faith in Christ is valuable. He's looked at his egg and said, nope, no value. But all I can say is, how's that working for you, Bill? Because, just recently, he was interviewed in an online interview and they, somebody called in, and, or t called in, <laughs> texted in, emailed in, whatever they do, and said, what's on your bucket list? You know, the bucket list is the stuff you want to do before you die, all the, you know, skydive or whatever it is, data supermodel, you know. What's on your bucket list? I mean, here's a guy with, here's the second richest guy in the world, only $67 billion he has. What's on your bucket list, Bill Gates? Uh, don't die, I suppose. That's it? Now, here's, here's the amazing thing to me. With those $67 billion, in the 16 years between the time you said religion isn't a good use of your time, and now, you couldn't find something that would give you peace about your own death? Yeah, that's right. You know why? Because there isn't anything except faith in Christ. I am smarter than a billionaire. I'm poorer, but I'm smarter. And in fact, if I really look at it honestly, I'll have to say, in one way, I'm richer because I'm taking mine with me. Now, this reminds me a little bit of when the Apostle Paul went to the place of the smart people in Athens, Greece, the place where the philosophers would go and debate philosophy. And 
And if you're not uh, perhaps uh, academically educated enough to know that most of our philosophical systems came out of Greece, the ancient Greek philosophers, and they would all get together and, and debate things. And so when he, he went there to do the Lord's work, he went right to the place where he was, where they were, and he talked to them about the God who created the world, and he witnessed to them, and, and uh, here's how it came out. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And went, oh, come on, dude, resurrection... While others said, we'll hear you again. We're going to think about it a little bit. However, some men joined him and believed. You can mock today. It's America. You get a choice. Bill Gates mocks. But my challenge to you is, if you're not going to believe, would you at least show me what it is that gives you peace about eternity and if you're here today saying, man, I want some of that peace, I want some of that optimism, I want some of that transformation, then what you need to do is to confess Christ as Savior with your mouth and believe in your heart that, Jesus has that God has raised him from the dead. And God will give to you all of these valuable blessings. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for the riches that are ours in salvation Help us to realize how much you've given us and help us to walk in those riches every day. Father, if there's somebody here who's never put their faith in Christ, help them to do it today. Help them to understand that Jesus died and was buried and rose again to pay for their sins. Help us to help our friends in their walk with you. Help us to go from here rejoicing at the great things that you've done in us and through us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.